Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. On stage today is MTV Unplugged in New York by Nirvana. It features an acoustic performance recorded on November 18, 1993 from MTV Unplugged, which aired on December 16, 1993. It was the first Nirvana album released following the death of Kurt Cobain. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and is certified five times platinum in the U.S., It won the Grammy Award for Best Alternative Music Album in 1996. Uh, My guest host today is a writer, a teacher, and a fellow American in hiding who vlogs at Detroiter in Poland on YouTube, Evelyn Aschenbrenner. Evelyn, please tell the people a little bit more about you. Let's say uh, I came to Poland just uh, over five years ago. Yeah, my, my blog on or my blog on YouTube, I look at col- uh, culture and politics in Poland from a left-wing perspective. Okay, I bet that's uh, that sounds like a, a lot of fun. Uh, so, Evelyn, tell me, how did this album enter your life? Now, that's a really good question. I don't remember like a specific time or day, but I remember uh, as a teenager watching a lot of the videos from uh, from the MTV Unplugged, of course, on MTV. And I just remember being really captivating. That's where the I think the first time. I really began listening to Nirvana quite a bit, and I found like just his performances were absolutely captivating, and so that's how that's how I wound up going down to and buying this album on CD. <laughs> uh, was this the first CD that you had owned by Nirvana? This was the first CD owned by Nirvana, and I, I'd heard their other other things before, but somehow the unplugged version really touched me in a way that the other other songs hadn't, and. Is still um, there was still a really good uh, CD record store in Dearborn where I grew up, and I was. I remember one of, the, one of the first CDs I bought. Uh, so now for me, Nirvana entered my life like it did for a lot of people in, in 1991 with the release of Smells Like Teen Spirit. And Nirvana seemed to be almost custom built for me, uh, even though I was never a huge fan. I was a little bit of a contrarian. I, I really I really enjoyed Nevermind, but I got a little tired of being told that this was the, the voice of my generation. So I was a, a, re- a reformed metalhead or reforming metalhead, let's say. So I was still listening to heavier music, but I was moving away from, let's say, Motley Crue or uh, Slayer or Metallica or whatever. And so I was listening to Soundgarden and a few other bands like that. And yeah, I, I enjoyed a lot of what they did, but I didn't really buy into them being the best of the best, let's say. And uh, it was really this album, kind of like what you were saying, that really just hit all the buttons for me. This was just so good. I think really showed how talented they really were and how strong their songwriting really was. And I don't exactly remember because Nirvana was just like wallpaper almost. That sounds, that's a much meaner way than I mean it, but it was just, they were around, they were everywhere. Well, I I know that Nirvana seemed like they were ubiquitous for a while. They were just, I remember hearing them on the radio a lot. People were talking about them. Everyone was wearing their t-shirts, but I think sort of like you, I wasn't, this was the album that really, got me like really impressed me what um what their what their musical talent let's go ahead and dive in here with our track by track analysis but actually before we do that we're going to talk just for a second about the different types of album openers that i've been talking about this season we have the call to action the teaser the setup and the blueprint uh talking about the first song here about a girl i really i like the space between 
the applause and, and the start of the song. Uh, I think this is kind of a blueprint that shows us what we're going to be getting. They start with probably not a very well-known track at the time. It was off their first album, uh, which he makes time to point out that nobody owns it or very few people owned it. I would assume that this version of this song sold more copies of Bleach than anything else that they've ever done. This is such a great song. It's such a fun way to open up. Uh, this particular concert and I mean, it just uh, it shows you what you're going to get it's it's stripped down um, they're, they're they're coming from a really uh, sort of a softer perspective while not really losing any of their power this is a, a terrific opener and I, I really like this one what about you Evelyn what do you think about this song yeah this is a great opening and our great opening song and I think particularly that we weren't sure what to expect from Nirvana Unplugged because they have such you know a a heavy electronic sound that sort of having them unplug me like they would really have to be stripped down to be a really different sound and so i think this is a really good way to show how they could transform their uh their current songs into a more sort of acoustic softer versions and i thought this, this is a really strong a really strong opener so that leads us right into the second track come as you are what do you think about this one what are your opinions here well, i love this one i think sort of like this one and along with all apologies are kind of like the two the two covers of theirs, I think when people think of MTV, Nirvana's Unplugged album, they think of this one because it is, they're fairly iconic. They're very, they really, they're this really sort of raw stripped down. They really show um, the guitar skills, guitar skills of the other bandmates, as well as just the, sort of the raw emotional power of Cobain's voice. And I, I really like this song. This is a, is a really good one. I love the opening guitar uh, on this one. It sounds like it's underwater and it just, I think it, it sounds fucking great. I love how this one goes. And this is what probably one of the one of the few hit songs that they actually have on this uh, from before, let's say, before the album came out. So when this was released on uh, yeah. released from Nevermind at this point, you're not really sure. So they open up with uh, a song from their first album, which obviously wasn't nearly as successful as their second one. And then they come in with one of their big singles and then that's about it <laughs> we have a, a, a quite a quite a bit of a drought when it comes to songs you're really expecting to hear and there's something a little bit impressive about that and i, I really i love this version like i said a lot of times if people are thinking about this song it's probably from this album even though it was obviously a, a big hit yeah i like how i like how they begin with these two these these very you know the, the more at least this one is a fairly well-known nirvana song I like how they have the really good versions because I think like trying to trying to shoehorn an acoustic version of Smells Like Teen Spirit into this, I don't think it would have worked as a song. I don't think it would have worked emotionally. I think these two songs are sort of laid on the foundation you know, of this is what you're going to hear, the kind of emotional resonance you're going to get out of this performance, out of this set. And I think I think they're two really very smart choices. They obviously could have found a way to make Smells Like Teen Spirit work, but you wouldn't want to open with it. You wouldn't want to close with it. You wouldn't want to fuck it up too much and put it somewhere. I just that that I feel that was a trap that they they avoided, and and I'm sure people at the record label or at MTV were unhappy about it. But here, I've never heard one person complain after listening to this record. Like, oh, it would have been better if Smells Like Teen Spirit was on it. So I think they obviously made the right choice here. Yeah, I think one of the important things was that the songs they chose are very good, but they weren't necessarily their hit songs, but they were still their really really good ones. And so I think. That works to their advantage. That's a strength. This leads us uh, to track three, uh, Jesus Doesn't Want Me for a Sunbeam, uh, which is the first of many covers. Uh, so this, I think, is originally an old gospel tune, and according to 
Kurt Cobain speaking uh, before the song. He's doing the Vaseline's version, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I think this is, uh, it's a decent tune. And I think there's some interesting instrumentation. If I remember, maybe there's like an accordion or there's something going on here. Yeah, the guy comes in with the accordion. It's very, it's quite interesting. It's a, a good song. and It's um, uh, unexpected. I, I don't believe I had ever heard this song before in either the gospel or Vaseline's version. So this is the only version that I know of it. And I like it. And I think this is where they throw the curveball at you. So we have a, a couple of things before that at least most people would know, and then they do this super obscure cover. So it's not unusual for a live setting to see some cover tunes, but uh, usually you would think of at least something a little bit that you knew, but they're like, no, nope, we're going to do this just goofy little <laughs> cover that nobody knows. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this one, I mean, I think this is an, um, you know, it's, it's their first cover, and I do, I really like the choice of the accordion as sort of a way to um, change up the sound a little bit. And I do like how, I feel like on, um, in this set, the way the songs sort of lead in from one to the other, there's no like real, there's a few highs and a few lows. I feel like all the songs emotionally are really well paced. And so I feel like the first two songs were very strong and came out sort of very, you know, um, with more energy. And this one is where we started to get something a little bit, a little slower. And it was unusual because, again, I hadn't heard of any of the versions. So like, oh, this is an interesting song. It's, it's also it's a nice introduction to the other covers. Yeah, so he makes sure to let you know that you are listening to a cover, uh, such as the following track, The Man Who Sold the World. And what do you think about this one? I absolutely love this song. I find it, um, the the guitar sound great. It's quite haunting. It's very. I think he did a really good. This is this is a Bowie song that always struck me as showing off sort of the rougher side of Bowie. What not was not very pol polished. And so, I thought this uh, Cobain's uh, version of this was also I thought really really quite excellent because it was. It's, it sounds great, and again, as a cover, I think it just it really, really works. And I wonder how many people ended up going out and finding the Bowie original uh, because of this. I know I did. Uh, I didn't with the Vaselines. I didn't. I don't think I've ever listened to four seconds of the Vaselines at this point. But I was always uh, <laughs> lukewarm towards David Bowie. There's things that I like by him, but I was one of the few people I knew who really got into music who didn't go through a Bowie phase. And I do like David Bowie, but I've never had that. Uh, Bowie obsession, which I know a lot of people have had. You're right. I think this was the beginning. Cause I, I before this, I sort of knew Bowie from like you know his his '80s hits like uh, "Let's Dance" and and those songs. But this was sort of my introduction to you know other versions of Bowie. I think yeah, this is where I really got into you know his you know his early '70s ones like you know Ziggy Stardust and Panic in Detroit uh, from Aladdin Sane. And so yeah, I had a definite sort of really Bowie focus for a while. And this was, or I think this was how I, how I, how I found Bowie was this cover. And those are the, I think some of the best covers when you know the artist, but you don't necessarily know the song or maybe the artist found a, a really interesting way into a song that you, you already heard, then you want to go back and, and find out more about that original artist. And, and I think that did a great job here. So he introduces it, or I think at the end he's like, oh, that was a David Bowie song, by the way. Yeah, you know not like, oh yeah, that was a Bowie cover. <laughs> uh, and I, I remember a guy that I worked with uh, at a record store was like, everybody knows it's a Bowie song. And I'm like, I didn't know it was a Bowie song when I first heard it. So uh, shut up. You know? I just have to I'm, I'm gonna interject here, like guys who work at record stores. So you go up and ask for an album and either they give you a, that, that look because what, you don't have that album yet? Or they give you like, ugh, you want to buy that album? Ugh. So guys at record stores. That's okay. <laughs> I was a guy at a record store. So this was a friend of mine that was I was talking to. So um, 
he he wanted to gatekeep me a little bit. That was fine. That was fine. I don't care. It's 1999. I'm I'm over it. I'm past it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Let's go on. Let's just go on. <laughs> Let's just record like they're trying to how how can we how much we out cool each other? Did I find it before you did? I found I knew them before they were cool. I I did. People did that before. What do you mean? <laughs> go on now to Penny Royalty and. I think this is such a great vocal performance. I, I like the song. I like the song quite a bit. And the chorus can just really get stuck in my head. Uh, it's funny because I don't find myself necessarily going to put this song on specifically. But when I'm listening to this album, I'll end up listening to this one a couple of times just because I need to work out that chorus <laughs> or I'm going to be haunted by it for a week. I think a, a really good one. I really like the song quite a bit. What about you? Yeah, I really, really like this one, especially the lyrics. I think it's like I was, well, still am, you know, I was um, really into goth music in high school. And I think this was one of the first times I found an album or found a song like, oh, someone's talking about some really depressing feelings or some really issues they're struggling with on a song and I can listen to it. I mean, so other people have been feeling, have been having similar issues. And I, I some of the, yeah, this, this struck me that I haven't ever gone, like put this one on to begin with, but if I'm listening to, the, to this album, I do wind up turning this up because there's something sort of catchy and sort of that gets, that, get, that gets to you about this song. Yeah. And he just seems to, to plumb some uh, depths in between just singing the, the, the words, you know, the Penny Royalty and just how it's affecting. And I don't even know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is uh, this is a really good one. I, I enjoy that song quite a bit. Track six, Dumb. What do you think here? Oh, speaking of songs that are hard to listen to, um, <laughs> because again, it's so interesting because it's hard to judge an album, you know, outside of its context. But here it's like, you know, listening to, you know, Nirvana's Unplugged, of course, we, you know, think about what happened to Nirvana. So you said this was the first album after Cobain's death. I remember really liking this song in high school and listening to it now. It can be sort of hard to, hard to listen to in a way, just because it's like, you know, sort of, I think this one of the songs where sort of like it was sort of not a harbinger, it was sort of showing what might have been coming in terms of his headspace and, and that sort of thing. And what do you think of this song? I love the strings in this. And, and this is, I know there's other, we haven't talked a whole lot about the instrumentation going on because it's obviously the, the, the three main members. And I know I think Pat Smear is playing some guitar. And at times there was the, uh, the we talked about the accordion. And I can't remember if there was before this, but I just, I love how the strings really come into play on this particular song. And it is, like you said, kind of a hard one to listen to. I think a, a really good tune. Uh, I wish I had a little bit more to say about it than that, but uh, I think that's all I got. All right. So then we'll go on to Polly and another one. This is, uh, I don't have really hardly anything to say about Polly. It's not one I queue up. It's not one that I skip. It's uh, a song that brings us basically to the end of side one. I'm not 100% sure if that is the case, if it's on, because it is obviously available on vinyl, but I forgot to look up to see where exactly the, the split is, but we're going to, it's halfway through the album, let's say. We're, we're seven tracks into a 14-track album. And so it kind of just plays out if this was the, the last song. You know, I don't think I would necessarily get up to, to lift the arm to, to flip it over early. I would listen to it all the way through, but uh, I just, I don't have a whole lot to say about Polly. What about you? Yeah, I guess I... I it's interesting because somehow, you know, as as you get older and songs and albums change meanings for you, I, I don't remember really being struck by Polly either as a teenager or in my 20s, but I know actually when I was doing some, you know, sort of re-listening to this album for, for this podcast, 
I did some Googling. I thought that Polly is that the, it's based on a, the abduction and rape of a teenage girl. And I had sort of forgotten that Cobain was sort of like sort of a, a early feminist. And I, I've also sort of been curious, like, had, you know, had he lived, what would that have been like having sort of, you know, someone, a rock and roller who's very sympathetic to, you know, certain uh, uh, feminist views, especially like in the age of Me Too. I, I don't know if the song itself really captivates me, but sort of it does sort of make me think about about who, who Cobain was as a person and some of the stuff, like some of the things that he believed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I know there was a, uh, quite a bit made about that. And uh, it's also with uh, like Rape Me, which obviously wasn't on this record. They didn't do this one live and, and how I think sometimes there was the controversy of just putting it out there, even though it was as a form of criticism as opposed to uh, support. Uh, but every once in a while people, cause I, I think there was some kind of controversy about Polly and it's just, escaping my head right now it's just just past me and i don't feel like looking it up right now but yeah so he he really did come at it from he was a, an early let's say male feminist and um, eh, maybe not early but in, in the 90s when that wasn't quite as uh, as prevalent as, as you're going to see now especially in music especially in heavier music so yeah and again it was it was, it was really refreshing to see uh some you know someone in you know in grunge and rock music sort of being really sympathetic to you know feminist viewpoints and also around this is sort of in around this time when I, a few years later i'll get really into sort of that um bands like bikini kill and bratmobile or you know very raw gritty angry girl punk rock i was thinking like and it would have been interesting to see you know what the next album albums from nirvana would have been like particularly in terms of you know the things he believed in because i feel like now it's it's much more common for you know men you know for people to be more, more open-minded about you know th- issues about feminism but i feel like could have been what could have been it's just interesting to think about one of the many things that uh, you want to think about what could have been had he uh, made it a little bit longer yeah one of many so that brings us to the end of side one of nirvana's mtv unplugged in new york on i fucking love this record with evelyn ashenbrenner at the top of the show, we mentioned that you were doing a vlog on YouTube called Detroiter in Poland. Why don't you tell me just a little bit more about that? What are you uh, trying to accomplish with this particular channel? Well, that's a good question. So I've sort of discovered like the past year or two, there are a fair number of other fairly left-wing people on, on YouTube trying to make content either about politics or culture or gender issues. And as of my sort of niche that I found is sort of uh, like left-wing queer stuff in Poland, because in, obviously in English. I know there's another uh, blogger who does similar stuff in Polish, but I feel like I like coming at things from sort of a, not an outsider's perspective, sort of as an American perspective. And it is sort of nice being sort of part of this, you know, sort of left-tube community of people who who make content that's a little bit more, a little more left-wing. I don't know if I'll change anyone's minds, but it is, it's a nice outlet. <laughs> It's nice to have a good outlet. And just if if somebody goes to YouTube and types in Detroiter in Poland, they'll find you. Is that correct? Yeah, hopefully they, hopefully they should. Well, I wish everybody good luck with that. You should check out the videos. They're fun. And maybe fun's not the best word to use, but they're, they're there. They're good. Check them out. They're awesome. It'll change your mind and maybe the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's what we all want. So we've, uh, we were going to flip the record over and we're going to go on to track eight on a plane. Evelyn, your turn. What do you think? Again, I sort of mentioned about how the songs sort of, you know, they there's this sort of this um, this rhythm and pacing with the songs, and I feel like with On a Plane, like we were sort of the last few songs were um, dumb and Polly were a little bit more low energy, and I feel like this one it really picks up again in terms of the energy and the intensity 
that Cobain and, and, and his bandmates bring to it. What about you? What do you think? Well, I'm on a plane and I can't complain. Now, I like this one. Like you said, it, it, I think it uh, <laughs> it clears out the, the last couple. Or again, if you're flipping over the vinyl, assuming this is the uh, first track on side two, picks the energy back up. And, uh, and I think that's good because you know, I think pacing is always an important thing in an album or in a concert or whatever. And uh, I think they do a, a really good job of that here. And this is another tune that I, I, I dig. I like this one. Uh, and it's fun. And another one that can just sort of, because it's got a little bit of that, it's a little sing-songy at times. And, and it's another one that gets uh, gets stuck in my head on occasion with the, just, just I'm on a, uh, on a plane, can't complain. And it's it's such an yeah. easy rhyme, but it's still like, hey, hey. You know? <laughs> and I bob my head a little bit to it. So I, I like this one. Yeah, and it's, I do. It's, it's a simple rhyme, but yeah, it's a good sort of, just it's a nice, it's a, it's a good rock song. It's also a very good acoustic version of a good rock song. Track nine, something in the way. This one is a is a little haunting, and it brings the energy back down again. Uh, I'm glad this isn't track eight uh, because then it'd be like a, a bit much, especially if you're listening on a digital version and just going straight through. It takes the energy back down, and it's again, it's it's a little bit haunting. And I feel if it wasn't for the big finish, uh, the big song we'll get to later, I think this would be better remembered. I, I think people would have gravitated a bit more to this song because I really just like the way they put this together and, and the way that they fleshed out this song uh, to be done in, in an acoustic way. And it's just, it's it's beautiful. It's haunting, which let me see if I can say haunting 17 more times when I'm talking about this song. What What's your opinion here? Yeah, I think I think I I love this song. I absolutely love it. Again, the little the little early goth girl and he was just delighted by the slowness of the, the dirge of it. And I think this is the one that also has strings, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's it's slow. It's it's pretty. It's sad. It's haunting. I'm not. And I just I think this is also one of the first songs I'm like, oh, I like this. I'm gonna go. I want to wear black clothes and dance around in a room slowly. <laughs> How people find out that they're goth. And I, I think I think this one behind all apologies are sort of like the the slower, sadder ones. And I doubt all apologies. Um, this one behind the final song, "Where Did You Sleep Last Night?" Again, there's this very you know very slow, and like you said, haunting. These very sort of just these just give you chills almost. And I think this one it's a li- it's not as strong as the final track, but still, I think this is one of my favorite. I think this is my favorite song on this album. It's up there for me. I, I do really, really like this song a lot. So track 10, Plateau, uh, another cover. And uh, what do you think about this one? Actually, I don't know if I have a lot to say about this one. <laughs> Maybe you should start. Okay. Uh, so this is the, the first of, I believe, three Meat Puppet songs. Uh, they actually bring out, say, the brothers, the Kurtwood brothers, uh, come out to help uh, with these tracks. Such a great shuffle to it, and I just, I, I love this song. I, it's, and for some reason, I just didn't really go seek out the Meat Puppets after this, and though I kind of wish I had, because the Meat Puppets released an album this year, and it's great. And that first track uh, on their new album reminds me a little bit of this one. They just, something about the way the guy plays the bass and just the, the shuffling sound that he gets out of it. And it's like listening to just really cool Johnny Cash or something like that, where it's just got that steady rhythm and it just makes you kind of bop a little bit. Uh, this one is just really great. I love this song a lot. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, comparing it to Cash is a really apt comparison because, again, I think after sort of that, the slow dirge of the last song, we needed something to pick us up. And this is, it's a good sort of, you know, got a sort of country-esque feel to it. And I think Cash is a good one to compare this to. So then we go on to track 11, Oh Me. And I'll be honest, this is the only one when I see the title, I don't automatically have a song associated with it. There's just no, this is one that just exists where I don't, 
<laughs> I don't know what this one is and, and until I go and specifically listen to it. I don't just seeing the, the title does nothing. Uh, it's not that it's a bad song. It's a good song, but it's just the one. There's been so many other places where you just you see that and you're like, oh, I love that that string part or I love his vocal performance part or even just the hook here or there. And this one is like, I don't know what this song is. What about you? I think I mean, there's, there's 14 tracks on this on this album. And I think between you know Plateau and Lake of Fire, this one kind of gets sort of lost because I feel like Plateau is a really it's, it's a really it's a good pick up after the last one. It's also just a good so- cover on its own. Um, Lake of Fire, of course, is great, and I feel like you know, sort of, this is sort of the the putting it between those two songs, and also the rest of some really great songs on this album. You're right. I'm suddenly realizing, like, wait, what is this song about? <laughs> <laughs> this does suffer a little bit now. It's a live show, so it's a little bit different. But there's just you get this, a little bit of that '90s bloat, where suddenly people, instead of thinking about two sides of vinyl, they're thinking about you know one compact disc, which is you know about probably 20 minutes more it's i think you, a lot of these albums even the albums i love i think i could trim a song or two out of here and would still get the same user experience and this is that one for me it's like okay if you had to delete one track off of here this would be the track for me not that it's a bad song but again it doesn't uh, immediately uh, pull something up for me oh i know you mean because like i realized like when i when i got itunes i had you know listening to music electronically there's always yeah, that that one song where it's like, I'm just going to unselect this song mm-hmm. so it never comes up in shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was my second guest when we were talking about Faith No More and she was mm-hmm. talking about songs that don't get put on the digital version, let's say. So she would just, eh, that one doesn't need to go on my iPod. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. There's certain songs that are just absolute gems and they're wonderful. You, you, you want to take them with you and you know, either are going to go on the iPod or on your on your phone. And there are certain ones I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I don't need, I don't have enough room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one, this one can stay at home. It's not a bad boy, but he's just not a good boy. All right, so then we uh, go on to our, our third Meat Puppet song, Lake of Fire. You mentioned this a little bit before, so why don't you take this one to start with? I think this one next to uh, Bowie's Minus Home of like it is, I think, the two best covers on this album. And just when there's something about the way his voice sort of crackles with just intensity. I remember, you know, again, as a, you know, sort of, you know, young goth kids, there's something about this sort of the demonic imagery. Just, I really liked it. It's just, it's just a really intense song. It's a really interesting song. And I really enjoyed it. Oh, what do you think? The same. I, I love, I love the, the vocals on this one. Uh, it's such a great vocal performance. Uh, again, with the shuffling rhythm uh, that they that the Meat Puppets just can do so well, and it just adding those two guys with the rest of the band could have gone terribly wrong, and it didn't. And I think this song is very powerful, and it's great to listen to. And this is one I think when when people think of this album, there's probably about four songs that they they really think about, and I think this is one mm-hmm. of them. Uh, obviously because yeah. it is a cover, but they just own it. They go out there and they do it. You're, you're almost surprised it's not them, even though it doesn't lyrically sound like them. But just the way they just fill in all the corners with this one, it, it's great. I love this song. And I think also um, sort of going back to songs that are hard to listen to, I think this one isn't hard to listen to, but it is sort of one every once in a while, I just sort of get a little bit of pause. Like I wonder, like I wonder when they were choosing the covers for the album, I'm curious what the thought process was. Mm-hmm. Some of the some of the questions Kurt Cobain asked in this, it seemed they're not. They're almost, in hindsight, they seem less than rhetorical. Or less than a, less. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's a little again, like you said, a little sad to think about. Yeah. So one other thing though, I do like I it's on the CD. 
And I really liked sort of the the dialogue or the back and forth they include between them because it is sort of it shows it shows sort of very you know sort of the, the human side. Of, I like sort of seeing that sort of behind the scenes about how how bands function because you always you know uh, uh, whether it's a music video or a performance, you this very sort of this polished image of them. And it was sort of nice. It feels, I mean, obviously for an acoustic album, it's going to feel more intimate, but I feel there's even more of a, a closeness feeling because of the little, the dialogues from between the band members that are left in. There is quite a bit of that because I know there was an issue with uh, how Dave Grohl was going to approach playing the drums and Cobain was concerned that he was going to just drown everybody out. And so then they decided to go with the brushes and you hear a lot of these stories from these unplugs with it, whether it's Nirvana or, or Neil Young or there's a couple of times where, where two or three different shows were recorded because they would record one and then the artist would be like that sucked I don't want to do that and they would go back and uh, I know there were some issues oh, really? about yeah yeah well of course you know you're talking about musicians and then you're trying to redo their songs in a different way and they're trying to do it in a live venue while I'll trying to make MTV and the label and the people happy while not wanting to give a shit if there anybody is happy but themselves and yeah so every once in a while you'll hear something about how particular artists uh, had problems and I think Neil Young recorded at least two different versions before he re- let something be released so we go on now to uh, track 13 all apologies like I had mentioned a little bit earlier with um, uh, about how if it wasn't for some of the other songs that we were go- like we would remember something in the way uh, a little bit better if it wasn't for the last song and I think uh, all apologies if it wasn't for Smells Like Teen Spirit being so associated with the turning of the culture. I think All Apologies is the song that Nirvana really would be remembered for. It's going to be Smells Like Teen Spirit just because it was such a, a sea change. But I find that if somebody is covering Nirvana and they're not doing Smells Like Teen Spirit, they're doing this song. Uh, I don't know if you've heard Sinead O'Connor's version of this, which is so soft oh, that- and delicate and beautiful it's such a beautiful song and it's so great to hear it here uh, because I really feel like this would be their calling card if it wasn't for the fact that they were so associated with that one pivotal moment in in pop culture Uh, I I love the version that they have here Uh, I like the placement of it I I like how we you know it's how how unusual they, they they do three meat puppet songs right in a row and nobody knows who the fuck the meat puppets are and then they launch into it's probably their their second biggest hit or at least I don't know you know let's say I don't know chart wise but what people really think of what they remember going back to that placement and going back to just the 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 groove in in here and I really I love this song what about you oh this this song is amazing I mean I don't there must have been so many times that like my friends and I they're like you know in a car driving around smoking or just in my room we just singing along to this song like this song just seems very when i think back of like nirvana and my teenage years this song comes to the front because it's it's, i mean the lyrics are very simple but they also mean a lot it's very easy to sing along to and it's just really i really really enjoy this song (laughs) well if you haven't listened to the Sinead o'connor version you should do that it's on universal mother and it's very good and also, I, and also, I like how serious it is, but I also sort of like there's a few things like in the, like uh, one of the first lines is something that everyone is gay, and I just I, I like that the it's serious, but also sort of like the bit of bit of humor that comes into it as well. Mm-hmm. Or even the uh, you know I wish I was like you, easily amused, and I think there's a couple ways you could read because that that sounds super condescending. <laughs> right? Oh, I was it. Uh, yeah, but it could also just be like. You know, sometimes I, I think he was known for just overthinking things. And so as opposed to just calling you easily amused, which is the same thing as calling you stupid, 
Uh, I wonder if that really was not quite as much of the uh, backhanded compliment as it sounded like, if that was really meant to, like, I really wish I could get out of my own head. And so more of a positive, I don't know. I want to understand why, because, yeah, I always, that's something when I loved as a teenager, I figured it meant that everyone's dumb except for me. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably what it meant. So I'm, I'm giving it a, a generous second reading. But, <laughs> but anyway, so good tune. And then that brings us to the final track, the old Lead Belly tune, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? And uh, Evelyn, amaze me with your wisdom. Wow. Again, of just what we were talking about, you know, emotionally charged songs about, you know, slow, painful listen to songs. And this song, like all of like the, the crackling fire energy of his voice from Lake of Fire comes through here. This is what like he sounds amazing on this song. I mean, just he sounds so raw and tired and haunted. It's just the intensity of the song. It's, it's, it's a great finish for this album. That final scream is just something it's something to behold and this is such a such a killer tune and i've heard a couple of different people cover this one and i know that mark lanigan uh who was the singer for the screaming trees had put out a solo record that kurt cobain had helped on that solo record the first one that he had done and they did a version of this song and mark lanigan has just an amazing voice Uh, i've never been able to confirm it but i've I, I can't find it because I think it was just said in a zine or something, but I want to say Mark Arm from Mudhoney said that Lanigan's voice is the only perfect thing in an imperfect world and that if he could kill him and steal his voice, he would do it, which I that was like one of the most brilliant compliments I've ever heard. And But I can't find it online just to find out if he actually said that or not. Uh, that's how I remember it. Just having Nirvana bring this song into, or let's say back into the pop culture. It's a really, really old tune and it's been done by probably a million different people. Sometimes it's known as In the Pines. Uh, it's got a couple of different, uh, a couple of different names. This is the one that they went with. And uh, when I saw uh, the Afghan Wigs tour uh, not too long ago, they combined this song with another song and it was just amazing so it was like this eight minute long thing and it was um and you could just feel the power that was coming from the way uh cobain had approached it uh after you know having helped lanigan arrange it back in i don't know 1988 or something like that uh such a great song such a great way to end just such a, a another one of those you know what was going on in his head at this point an easy one to play and just such an amazing, I don't know, shaking your fist at death, maybe uh, way out. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful, powerful, it, it's a great, great song. It, it really is. And I thought it's an interesting choice that, you know, they end their unplug set with a, a, with a cover. And I think that's a just interesting choice, but again, it's just, it's a, it's a great arrangement. It's everything about it. It's just, Okay, so that brings us to the end of I Fucking Love This Record with uh, Evelyn Ashenbrenner talking about MTV Unplugged in New York by Nirvana. Uh, If you have not done so, check out the archives on my website, lovethisrecord.com. You can find out all the old episodes that we've done there, including my album side, which is my slightly self-pretentious solo side project where I listen to one side of vinyl and drink a beer and talk about it. It's fantastic. (laughs) You should listen to it. It's a lot of fun. Evelyn, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time and effort that you've put into this. It was a, it was a lot of fun talking to you and we'll talk to you later. Thank you for having me on the the program. I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record, now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, share, and comment. For this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, we are lovethisrecord1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.